Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And I'm on. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub. Uh, today we have a very special guest. His name is Brandon Amoroso. And uh, Brandon actually is a, is a very young founder. And I was particularly interested to hear about his kind of experience in social media and e-commerce. He works um, with a couple of kind of DTC, uh, direct-to-consumer that is, um, e-commerce brands. And I think he has a really fresh perspective. We also went to the same university, USC. So shout out, go Trojans, love that. Um, but uh, Brandon, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I'm 22. I just graduated from USC in May. I was born and raised in a northwest suburb of Chicago, Barrington, Illinois. And uh, I went to high school around the same area at Lake Forest Academy. I actually I actually lived at high school um, as a boarding student. So I feel like maybe that's where I got a little bit of my independence from. And then I took a gap year in between high school and college to come work in Los Angeles for a startup wine company called drinks.com. So they operate, uh, now they operate Wine Insiders, Martha Stewart Wine Company, uh, Kroger Wine. And at the beginning, it was really just one tiny um, five person operation uh, trying to change the way that people buy wine. Um, I don't know, alcohol laws are very complex, but if you were to look into them, it's basically different for each state. So we navigated that and we are currently able to ship to over 42 um, different states direct to consumer. And then from there, I started electric marketing after working at drinks for about four years. And I did that while I was in my uh, junior year at USC. And I was just sort of handling classes and trying to grow that at the same time. It really just started as me trying to make extra money. Um, and now it's evolved into my full-time thing. Um, and we have a team of about five people now. And we're continuing to grow, um, primarily focused on direct-to-consumer brands with an emphasis on on Shopify partners. Got it. And, uh, I mean, Shopify is, is one of those great, phenomenal success stories. You know, they have come up from um, really nowhere. I mean, the last, I'd like to say, five to, you know, nine years since their founding story it's it's been phenomenal i know that they their early kind of startup story was actually as a snowboard company if i'm not mistaken and i think that the founders really struggled to to find an e-commerce platform so that they could sell their goods in the way that they wanted to i mean of course there's magento and there's um w uh, what is it w woo commerce on um on wordpress there's a couple others but um talk about finding a niche right yeah yeah and i think i think that's really important being able to find that specific area that you can hone in on because at first i was trying to do everything for everyone and then we were able to sort of identify our actual target market which is small to mid-sized businesses who are using shopify so i mean we do stray outside of that box sometimes but when we're doing outreach or when we're like focusing on which brands that we think we could partner with to grow uh, those are the like the filters that we add automatically is a certain company size and the fact that they use Shopify because it's better in my opinion it's better to be 
to focus in on what you're really good at, as opposed to trying to do a thousand different things, especially when your company's only five people, you're not a thousand people. So there's no way you can do everything super well. Well, I really like that because, you know, um, market to everyone, sell to no one, that old adage, you know, you've really found a niche, you know, Shopify, e-commerce, direct to consumer. Um, that's very specific. Um, I mean, it's also, it's also vast. I mean, every company, every company that has a product wants to be within those. I mean, who doesn't want to be DTC at this point? Because um, you control the whole user experience. You don't give Amazon a big commission. Um, and, um, you know, you don't have overhead of real estate and retail and all these things. So what are some of the learnings that you have um, that you've kind of picked up for people that do want to get into a product-based business selling direct to customer? So for D to C, if you're just trying to start out, um, if you already have a retail location, uh, it's typically easier to start driving traffic to your website. But I'd say to get a site set up as soon as humanly possible. Um, it's always best to start getting content up there uh, as quickly as you can because you're like from an SEO standpoint, the sooner you're able to get content up there, the better because then it's out there for longer um, and you're able to refine it over a certain period of time. And for most of the direct consumer brands that we work with, the struggle is just visibility. Um, it's not that unique to be able to ship direct to your con direct to the consumer now. Um, so the, the ability to stand out, it all comes down to visibility. And the way that we like to do that is through content creation and really showcasing that authenticity. So when you're a small business, you want to hone in on your greatest competitive advantage. And that is authenticity because it's either just you or it's a few people. And it's not like your Walmart where authenticity is sort of hard to come by. So what I always recommend to people who are just starting out with their D2C brand is to showcase as much of the process as possible to people so that they can really sort of see behind the scenes. And then on top of that, to make sure to showcase all the customer um, feedback and satisfaction that they get in their early goings because building trust is super important. Like for, for my business, at least, the number one goal that I had when I started it was to build out a solid presence on Google reviews and Yelp because your customers are going to be your greatest marketers. So speak to that. Uh, you, you, you cut a couple of points there um, that I really connect to is number one is this idea of, you know, your authenticity. What does that mean? Let be more tactical, be more tangible about that as a company, as a brand, as a person that's selling a product or a service. Um, what does that mean? What are some best practices? So it really just comes down to doing something that you're actually passionate about as opposed to um, and an example that I like to use that's pretty prevalent now, at least in California, is you see when uh, cannabis was legalized, there was a lot of sort of VC money that started to come into it. And it's not authentic. It's really just coming in to try and make some money. And I've, I personally think that people can feel that. And so when you enter a space, at least with most of the clients that we work with, they have a background in it. They're passionate about what they're doing, whether it's, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of a client. Um, but if you look at some of my clients who a lot of them will upcycle material. So we work with a, a spirit decanter company that upcycles um, wasted glass from the San Francisco uh, dining industry. And so they came from a background of like 10 years of dining um, experience. 
working in hospitality and then they went into this as a small business owner so it's very clear that like these are this is what these people are interested in about and they actually have like a vested interest in it as opposed to they're coming into an industry just to try and profit off of it well i mean there's there's the counter argument to that where um if you if you have too much passion for a field or for a product or for an industry that you actually can't separate the signal from the noise when it comes to a business perspective and figuring out a way to get your unit economics and knowing when and how to pivot um have you seen any any sort of stories like that i mean as long as you're trying to provide value to the customer um i think once it becomes how can we extract value as opposed to how can we provide value if you focus on how you can provide value then your business will be successful in whatever industry it may be and there's such a large scope that you can um, that you can reach now with the internet that i feel like most industries aren't so small where you're going to hit a roadblock of growth because there's just not enough people who are who are interested in it or there's not enough potential users um although i'm sure there's cases like that but that I think that as long as you as long as you sort of stay authentic and continue on with that, that that it'll be good. That's really good advice. Yeah. So you are a young founder. Um, you you have it seems like you've had one job, um, f- full time job before starting your own firm. That's a dream. I mean, that's awesome. That's that's incredible. I mean, that's um, very few people can can do that, but it's the best time to be able to do that because there's so much technology and there's so many resources available and so much demand um, to be able to do that. Um, how are you so bold? How are you so confident to say, hey, you know what? Screw it. I don't have all the experience in the world, but I'm going to go uh, become a CEO, become a founder and do my own thing. I think it's really important to have solid mentors um, that you can rely upon and then also learn from. So my mentor at Drinks over the course of those four and a half years, I was able to see a company grow from five people to more than 85 now. And so I got to see a lot of behind the scenes of what it takes to grow um, a startup company. And then once it sort of transitions from being a startup into more of a sustainable long-term business. And so that proved invaluable for me. And then it also showed me that, hey, I actually don't wanna go into some entry position somewhere when I know that there's so much more um, that I think that I can do. But on the flip side, if I were to start applying for jobs right now, there's nothing that would sort of match with what I'm looking to do because I don't have as much traditional experience as someone who would want to get put into a higher level position. And so I sort of fell into this because um, I can't go the traditional business route, at least right now. Um, And I'm more passionate about helping these small to mid-sized businesses. And so I think having the mentorship is what has been able to help me help me the most. Got it. And, um, you know, I know what you're talking about where, you know, you have your founder, you're running your own company, feels great. You're independent, you know, you're managing your own risk, you know, and then all of a sudden something takes a turn, um, not for the best. And you find yourself in a situation that you need to wind your business down. You need to get out. You need to go get a full-time job. You know, you got to service the credit cards, you got to pay off the debts, you know, you got to sort your stuff out, so to speak. So, um, you know, have you ever sort of thought about failure? I mean, what what are your fears as a founder? I mean, 
um, you, you mentioned that you have a number of, of clients. Um, you know, there's talks about market corrections and there's talks about, you know, money moving away from, you know, X, Y, and Z. How do you, how do you deal with um, fear of failure? Um, how do you deal with, you know, imminent risks that any business owner needs to take on? Yeah, so I try not to worry about it, obviously. I mean, that seems sort of cliche. But I mean, things like market corrections and that stuff, it's entirely out of my control. Um, and it's not like I can go about spending my the next year proactively trying to shield myself from whatever things may be coming. So I just focus on the stuff that I can, can actually control. Um, but I think the biggest thing about having your own company, especially when you have other people working for you, is that you're sort of responsible for their livelihoods because you're the one who's providing them with employment. And that's really the most important part about having your own business. Because um, for me, if the business failed, I could fall back into either like my previous job or, I mean, I would be able to figure something out. Um, but what stresses me out more is the fact that if this business were to not work, then who is currently working for me would be out of the job because I feel responsible for that. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, that's very responsible of you, you know, beyond, beyond your, beyond your years. So I commend you for that. Um, so here's, here's kind of a nut. I'll change gears on you a little bit. You know, there's young people get a lot of heat in this day and age, you know, they're called entitled and they're called lazy and, um, you know, they're called that they don't want to do any work and do the things that they need to do to go be successful. I mean, the older generations have this idea of, we worked for everything that we've done and we didn't have all these tools and all these resources and a little tiny device in our hands where you click a button and you get whatever you want. You know, how do you respond to that? Because I got to tell you, you don't strike me as any of those things. You strike me as someone that's hardworking and that's focused and that's mature. Yeah. So I think it's, it really comes down to the fact that there's just so much information coming at us all at once now. And so it's hard. And like, I struggle with this on a daily basis too, where, I, there's so many things that I could potentially learn. Um, and it's like, how do I budget my time efficiently so that I'm maximizing um, what I'm actually doing? And I feel like it can be overwhelming for a lot of people where if they don't know what they want to do, they're trying to do 50 different things all at once and they never, they just sort of continue to spin in like a circle almost. Um, and I feel like you can point to people not wanting to work hard in any generation. It's really just dependent on the situation. But nowadays, since there's so much more visibility, people are able to actually go pursue what they want to do. So you don't have to get stuck into a corporate job where you're there for 10 years and you that's what you're going to do because you need to provide for your family. You can just go on LinkedIn now and go find another job. Um, and like unemployment is so low and talent is pretty sparse. So there's just so much more opportunity out there. Um, but I'm sure that there are cases where there are kids my age who, who don't want to work or are entitled, but I feel like that is not just a generational thing, but that it can, it can be overblown a little bit just because of how visible things are now online. Um, but I know that at least in my case, um, I'd like to think that I'm pretty hardworking and motivated. And so that's sort of where, where I stand on that. But it is, I think it is harder to get us to focus. So I even have challenges, um, being able to get some of my peers to focus on one thing necessarily. And it really does have to be engaging. So, I mean, 
there's a lot of stuff that is done at positions. At least I've had a corporate internship before where the things I was doing were very routine and they could have easily been um, automated. And so moving more towards creativity and work that is not just so like spreadsheet, like let's just go plug in all these numbers every day. I think that's super important in order in order to keep us engaged and actually focused on something. Yeah, I I saw this comment that you wrote um, on someone's post. Your network is your net worth. <laughs> that was a a joke between my entrepreneurship professor at USC in my last semester. Um, he would always say your network is your net worth, and so I saw uh, a multi level marketing. Uh, video. It was like supposed to be a spoof of multi-level marketing on LinkedIn. And one of the things they said that MLMs will always say is your network is your net worth. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I had to tag them in it. But I feel like there is some truth to that. Um, like a lot of business is relationship based. And I used to hate networking because I thought it was superficial and fake. Um, but I actually enjoy it now as long as it's gone into like not having an agenda. Like I just like to meet the like, cool and interesting people. Um, like at this week I was able to meet um, the woman who built the web app for Tinder. And then I was also able to meet someone who uh, did the branding for Dosist and MedMen as they were rolling out. And so I thought that was super cool. I didn't really have any intention beyond that. I just wanted to meet them and get their insight. And so, yeah, I'm getting this kind of um, old soul vibe from you, which I like. I, one of your one of your comments on LinkedIn was that you have a palate of a 75 year old person. What did you mean by that? So that is a a chart that drinks put together. They have a lot of data on on a consumers wine preferences. And that's the unique thing about D2C is that we have all this data that shows us what types of red wine or white wine people are buying and what age they are um, and where they're coming from. And so if you look at that chart, it shows that uh, the younger generation likes really sweet and uh, white and rosé wine. And then as you get older, um, the sweet white and rosé wine sort of tails off and then uh, dry dry red wine increases. Um, but I am sort of already at the point where I don't like sweet rosé or white wine and i'm very much into old french wine red wine in particular that's super dry and so that that was the 75 year old comment um but i've always sort of aside from the the palate i've always sort of um strayed to having older friends surrounding myself with older company um i don't didn't really go out of my way to do it but that's just sort of how it ended up (laughs) very cool i like that that's cool. So you're very active in content marketing. I noticed that you are putting articles out and you know, they're very specific to your target audience. Um, Amazon, e-commerce, you know, Shopify, domains, websites. Um, when did you realize that you needed to get active in content marketing and to really put yourself out there as an influencer and as an author and as a, as a creator? Yeah. So I'd say really only just a year ago. Um, cause my mentor at least is very uh not against it but very much so in the shadows uh, which i honestly think is like the ultimate dream being able to be super successful and not have anyone know about you but unfortunately in this day and age that is really not how it works um your i mean and i look at like gary v or neil patel or some of the larger uh marketing people 
and their personal brand feeds into their business and vice versa. And so in my opinion, you can't really have one without the other, at least on a super high level. And that's why about a year ago, I started my own website. I started pushing a lot of this content. And it's also, I think the internet is really awesome in the sense that I can look up anything that I don't know how to do and I can learn it because someone else went out of their way to put together like a guide on how to do it. And so I think that's really neat for me to be able to help out someone who maybe not, maybe won't be able to afford our services, but there's a guide out there where if they want to go DIY it, they're able to do it. Um, and that's because of the content, the content that we're pushing. The only thing about content that is frustrating for me, for someone who's not incredibly patient, is that it takes a while to sort of start to uh, build an online presence. And so it's not like you're going to go publish an article and the next day you're going to get 100 new clients. Um, it's very much, it very much so builds upon itself. And so you just have to stay consistent with it. And there's a ton of tools you can use for like social media, for example, like we use Sprout Social and we just publish a month at a time. Um, things like that so that you can stay on track because when I first started trying to create content, it would be like once every month because I wasn't focused on it and I wasn't seeing the, the impact in the bank account really from doing it. Um, but once I was able to shift my focus towards like sort of more of a long-term growth plan, that, that was really important for me was the content. So yeah, that's great. So what you're doing is you are you're scheduling a lot of your content that gets pushed out. So Sprout Social is your is the platform that you use to kind of schedule your the distribution of your content on. I presume what Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Correct. Yeah. Cool. And then why don't you use Hootsuite? So I used Hootsuite at um, at drinks. I don't really have anything against Hootsuite. Um, just currently where we're at in terms of the needs. Like in terms of what we actually need the the software to do, uh, Sprout Social is much more simplistic, and so it's just easier for for what where we're at right now. Got it. Yeah, we we are uh, Hootsuite users, and then we actually also use a smaller a smaller provider called um, Promo Republic, and that is almost like our Canva replacement. That helps us to um, create a lot of our kind of infographics. Um, so we, we've had some success with that. But what I like about what I like about your Instagram page is that you're you're coming up with multiple, I'd say multiple image infographics here. So it's five or six graphics that kind of tie into a larger story. Like I look at the, you know, SEO success roadmap and it's got these um, what is it? Six steps here. Website architecture, content, optimize multimedia content, integrate social media, link building tracking and refining how do you do that what's the process to actually come up with a, mul a multiple image um, post sequence on instagram because they look really nice when you, when you look at the wall mm -hmm. so there's actually another usc alum who uh he came out with an app i want to say about four or five years ago called uh, unum and that's basically and i'm sure there's other tools like it as well but it just and you could even probably do this um if you just put the images next to each other yeah. So you're basically just laying out the images ahead of time before you post them. So you're able to see all six or nine images in the feed before you go ahead and publish them because you need to be able to see what it's going to look like and make sure that everything lines up properly. And then you go ahead and actually publish them over the course of six days or nine days, or you can publish them all at once. Um, and that way you're able to have that continuity between the images 
in your feed and it, and it looks a lot better. I always thought that that app was called Unum. It may be. I might be saying it horribly. <laughs> I, I always thought it was um is that's like a, a lull. It's, you know, it's a break of time. It's kind of meaningless. And yeah, would, their whole system is un- that pronunciation. So I don't know, though. I actually have no idea. I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced. So I'll have to I'll have to Google that. That's cool. I mean, there's there's another kind of mnemonic that I recently discovered, which is for um, Zapier. And the founder put out a tweet. He says, you know, how do you pronounce Zapier? It rhymes with happier. So it's always kind of no, it's nice to know the <laughs> proper pronunciations. Um, I might be wrong on it. I will look into that. Um, cool. So I want to talk a little bit about USC. How was your experience going to SC? What did you learn? What did you study? What were some of your takeaways, um, pros, cons? Yeah, so I'd say mine's probably a little different because I was I was only there for five semesters. Okay. Uh, I really uh, made my schedule sort of awful. Um, I would I took the full twenty one units that you can take every semester, and so I was able to to graduate in those five semesters. Um, so I was very much so like, in the classroom, and then I was also working at drinks. So I probably uh, skipped some of the the socialization and networking that. Uh, is actually beneficial now that I'm looking back at it. I wish I could kind of have another semester at USC just to meet all of like the interesting people that are there. Um, but I'm sort of catching up on it now. Um, but my experience was it was good. Um, I got a degree in business administration. Um, so the, I mean, some of the ITP classes I took were the most useful. And so they have a really cool uh, entrepreneurship program there in the ITP department, and it's called Digital Entrepreneurship or Innovation for Digital Entrepreneurs, something like that. And that's actually where I came across SEO about two, two and a half years ago. And that was sort of the premise for um, electric marketing, actually, is what I was learning in there. And I was like, wow, this is I can combine this with what I'm doing at Drinks and actually provide a lot of value. Um, and so I really enjoyed the experience i say the only cons are it's not it's not like a traditional college campus you really are like in the middle of a city and um, other than that the classes were were really great um the professors were super helpful especially in the upper division classes i took for my for entrepreneurship um so i'd say that i can email any of them as like mentors and, and look to them for guidance and advice. But the alumni network is probably the strongest part about going to USC. Like my opinion about higher education is that the top like 25 schools are, are sort of all the same when it comes to like the books or the actual material you're learning. It just comes down to your personality and then what they're able to offer you after you graduate. And I think that the Trojan network is super powerful and people like to help one another out. And I think that's really the best part about about USC. Yeah, well said. I mean, SC has such a tremendous network. It's it's um, it's un- unbelievable. I mean, I, it's it's definitely something I don't really take advantage of. Um, you know, I, I have not been active in a lot of the alumni groups and, you know, a lot of the kind of social organizations. I get the calls every once in a while. I don't know if they started to call you, but you know, they call me every six months asking for a couple of bucks. So I try to support whenever I can because it's always nice to hear um, the the, stu- the stories of the, of the students that are doing the fundraising. I think they do a really good job. 
um, in their fundraising efforts because they make it completely human. And they're like, hey, you used to be like me and I'm yeah. going to spend 10 minutes to talk about my life and you're going to make a connection with me. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> so that's that's always that's always a good thing. Very cool. So let's let's get a little bit tactical here. So everyone wants to have um, the best possible ranked website. Um, they want to get, you know, high on the SERPs and they want to get those keywords. And it's really difficult. It takes a long time. I'm like you. I'm impatient. And content marketing, SEO, it's it's a long-term investment. It takes six months. Sometimes it takes up to two years. Mm -hmm. So, And even then, it's not even something that's sort of done. You have to continue to invest into it and iterate and add more content and update and so on and so forth. So please give us your, your best tips, your best tricks for SEO and how to get our rankings up. Yeah, so the number one thing... Um, for most businesses, I mean, if you're a larger, this won't be that applicable to you. But with all the small businesses we work with, link building is the first and it's the biggest priority. Um, if you have a website with no links to it and you could have the greatest content in the world and it's just never going to show up. I like to use the, the Moz plugin. It's, it's a plugin for uh, Chrome, um, but you can just use like the Moz toolbar as well. And you can look up any URL and it'll give you a domain rank, one to 100 which is basically telling you what your website's ability to rank is. So if I have a client who is like a 10 out of 100, that is by far the most important thing because we're not going to be able to outrank anyone at that level. Um, and that's really a byproduct of the backlinks that are going to your website. You Content is obviously necessary, but it's not going to move the needle like backlinks are going to. And how do you get backlinks? I mean, I get those emails a lot saying, hey, can you link to our blog posts and your blog posts? And I mean, mm -hmm. we're constantly thinking about the same things as well. How do we get our content? We're very active on our blog. You know, we do daily YouTube videos. So um, give us some some tricks on that one. So it's super demoralizing because, I mean, first of all, most people just won't reply to you. And then on top of that, you also get the rejections, which I actually would prefer the rejections as opposed to the no responses. And then you have the few people who, who do say yes, which is what makes it worthwhile. So I like to set, I don't know if this is the proper terminology, but this is what I call it is sort of leading and lagging goals. So you have your leading goals, which is what you can actually control. So say I'm going to outreach to 50 different websites this week about potential guest posts. And then you have a lagging goal, which is ultimately I would like to be able to write three guest posts from my leading goal. Because if you only focus on the result and the success, then you're going to get totally demoralized when you've sent 30 of these emails and then you're not seeing any progress. Because you can't, you can't control, you can't control that part. All you can control is what you're actually doing. And so if you just focus on that and then you send 50 and you check it off, it's a lot more rewarding than if all you're focusing on is getting that actual um, backlink. But it really comes down to networking. So. We've I've been able to build up some, I guess, PR contacts, if you want to call them that, where I have certain blogs and websites that I'm able to count on for my clients, and I'm able to give them specific clients based on what industries they're looking for, and they're able to like sort of slot them in where they see best fit, whether it's a, a blog post about them or a holiday gift guide. Um, a really cool new tool that I found was uh, help a reporter out is what it's called. Arrow, yeah. 
it's through PR, Newswire, or Cision, yeah. whatever it is. Um, and I get like two or three emails a day of 70 different uh, opportunities where reporters are looking for um, content to push. So just this week alone, I've already gotten placement for over 30 of my clients and three different holiday gift guides with some domain ranks that are like 58 out of 100, 48 out of 100. So they're pretty quality domains. Um, it's not like it's the LA Times or something, but these are really important backlinks for them and are going to drive traffic to their site. So basically, I am just trying to link build every day. Um, the ultimate goal is to have content that's so good and have such a great site that people just link build to you naturally. So great content should push links naturally. Um, and if you use like the skyscraper technique where you identify um, a search query that you want to start ranking for, and then you see what's doing the best, like what your competitors are doing the best, and then you sort of take that and make it better, that's a really good way to start ranking on, on Google as well. And when you, what do you mean by skyscraper? So if you type in, anything into Google, whatever shows up first, those first 10 results, that's what Google wants to see. So SEO isn't reinventing the wheel, it's taking what's already being done and, and doing it better. So you're obviously not copying what's on the first page because then it, it won't rank because duplicate content is terrible on Google, but you are going to look at things like how many images they used in their text, um, how long the content is, whether or not they had a video, what their uh, title and meta description is like. And then you can, I mean, there's easier ways to do this. Like I use SEMrush to do a lot of competitor research and that'll help you write your content as well. So you can identify uh, keywords that you want your piece of content to rank for. And then you write it in SEMrush and it'll give you back a score based on the readability, how long the text is, whether or not you're including semantically related uh, keywords. And so technology is helping a lot with being able to create uh, stellar content for, for Google. So do you kind of function as, as an advertising agency or a PR firm or social media? Give me an idea of, of kind of what you guys do in terms of your services and where your sweet spot is. Yeah, so we started out originally with SEO. Um, we've been migrating away from that a little bit. We still It's still sort of the backbone of everything that we do, but SEO has... Uh, kind of a bad rep over the last five or 10 years, I would say, because um, it's sort of like voodoo in the sense that there's a lot of bad actors out there that promise crazy things for super low prices and then it never happens. Um, Are you wearing a black hat right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> um, but if you look at um, what Google has been doing in the past with Rank Brain, um, user experience is becoming more and more at the forefront of SEO. I'd say the three biggest things are content, backlinks, and then user experience. Because I think RankBrain is the third, second or third most important ranking metric on Google now. And that takes into account things like your bounce rate, the average time people are staying on your website, how many pages they're visiting, their, their user experience. So SEO is more user experience than it ever has been. And I think that's really awesome because it's rewarding high quality content as opposed to someone who can just game, game the system. So we do SEO for all of our clients, but we also branch out into um, social media, email marketing, uh, website, to des website design, and we do Google ads for the most part. We do some Facebook and Instagram, uh, but I 
we feel that we have more control over um, bidding and the cost per acquisition when we go through Google, whether it's Google Shopping or Google Ads. Um, and recently, we've been experimenting with Amazon as well, because I think for all small businesses, you should have a Shopify site and you should have an Amazon site because there's awesome pros to each and then there's cons to both of them. So I think that the two can play play off of one another. Yeah, you know, my one of my uh, one of the guys that I went to um, high school with, um, he his name is Brian Nolan, and he actually had a really interesting startup. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but um, it effectively allowed e-commerce brands to to sell um, their products on multiple e-commerce platforms so they could go to Shopify, they could go to Volusion, they could go to Amazon. Um and and I it, it was called Cellbrite before it got acquired by by GoDaddy, um, and I think that's kind of an interesting thing where it's um, we've got our products and we don't have we don't want to have to list all of our products in all these different places. So you know let's use some sort of a, a, a content aggregator or an e-commerce kind of aggregator. And it seems like that's is that where things are going? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing trends in that? You know his company was was acquired by GoDaddy, so I don't know if they're playing nice with Shopify and Amazon anymore, but you know, at one point that was sort of a big vision. Yeah, so I definitely think that's the case because if you go on Shopify, there's a ton of apps that allow you to just sort of plug and play with um, various uh, other websites. So, I mean, if you want to set up a Google Shopping account, all you do is download an app and then it automatically transfers your product feed onto uh, Google Merchant Center so that you can start running ads on Google. Um, and I don't think there's a con to having your presence in in as many places as possible as long as you can manage that and so like a content aggregator makes it simple for you for that you're not logging into 40 different systems a day got it um you mentioned a lot of software that you use i was taking some notes um you mentioned sem rush you mentioned the moz plugin you mentioned um, sprout social what is your stack what is your tech stack what are you guys using over there to get your jobs done so we primarily use SEMrush, Moz, uh, Ahrefs or Ahrefs, I, another thing I don't know how to pronounce. Um, and then uh, Sprout Social, we also use Canva for some things. Like if I have to do any design work, I use Canva because I'm, um, I'm allergic to any Adobe software, basically. I'm terrible at Photoshop. And then... Um, in addition to that, like our creative team will use sort of the Adobe suite and we use a lot of Google's products. So we use Google Tag Manager with all of our clients where we set up their, their Google Analytics, their Google remarketing tags. Um, but that basically sums it up. Um, I mean, you have your Facebook pixel as well that we make sure everybody has, but that that's really the core core softwares that we use. Um, and then if we get into email, you have uh, MailChimp and then Clavio is one that's taking a lot of users away from MailChimp right now on Shopify uh, because Shopify and MailChimp, MailChimp stopped um, basically communicating with each other in April, I believe. So you had to Why download, you had to download a, a third party plugin in order for MailChimp to connect with your Shopify site. Um, I honestly don't know why. Maybe Shopify is looking to get into... Um, what MailChimp is offering or vice versa. Um, but 
a lot of people switched over to Clavio because you have to use a third-party app to connect MailChimp to your Shopify site now. And Clavio offers some segmentation ability that is not offered on MailChimp, but those are the main technologies that we use. Got it. And then um, just a quick little recap here the, the on the Harrow Helper Reporter out. Um, that's a PR Newswire. It's a Vocus um, Cision, I guess, property. And uh, it's helperreporter.com. And I think what's interesting about this, they have been around forever. I'm just kind of on their site right now, and I've realized that they have not updated their, their interface whatsoever. But what's interesting about this is that reporters flock to this site. And then they put their pitches in here. So if they're looking for brands or personalities or stories or you know any type of information, um, people like you and me that have something to sell um, or a story to tell can answer um, one of those uh, sort of press requests or informational requests. So it's kind of a, a way to, I think, monitor press and to be able to respond to journalists um, in near real time. Um, I think it just requires an effort you have to, I don't know, it's yeah. once a day emails or twice a day. What's the frequency nowadays? I got three today and there were 70 in each one of them. Um, like, wow. And I mean, a lot of them aren't applicable, um, but a good amount are. So you really need to pick the ones that you're actually an expert on. Um, like if you, not that you're gonna lie, but if you try and like make it seem like you know more than you actually do, it's gonna be pretty obvious because this is, this email's going out to a ton of people. So you really wanna pick things that you are actually qualified for. Um, but it's been awesome. It's super challenging to go through that email because it's so like not tech savvy. They send an, an email blast with 70, um, 70 different prompts and you have to scroll through the whole thing. It's not like it's some sort of an interface online that you can submit um, and filter for. Um, but if you put in the work, you'll be able to get a lot of res uh, results from it. And so would you say that, what would you say your number one trick to getting people to link to your site? I guess you call them backlinks. What, what's your number one tip on that? To my site personally or? To any site, for any person that's trying to get other folks to link to their site, um, what is your best tip to get that, to get backlinks? So you can look at who's currently backlinking to your competitors. And you can do that through SEMrush. Um, I'm pretty sure you can do it through Moz and the other software SEO software tools as well. And so that way you have a sort of an initial list of people that are already predisposed to write about companies or content like you have. So that's where we always start our outreach to because we have something to go off of. And then once you get your first couple of links you always want to include those in your outreach going forward because it gives a sense of of urgency like uh, we had a client featured in the la times a couple weeks ago and so now in all the outreach we do we say hey look i mean they just got featured by the la times like a week and a half ago clearly this brand is um really interesting and people people want to see it so it gives a sense of urgency and a sense of credibility as well you mentioned outreach. Um, what are you guys doing for prospecting? And what are you guys doing for kind of outbound um, communication? Uh, reason why I ask is because, you know, I'm always curious to see if people are using video um, for their communication. You know, that's our whole thesis. Our whole thesis is that we communicate better using video and that it's not just for kind of mass social channels. It actually works very effectively on email and 
kind of LinkedIn and sort of prospecting and just kind of overall business development and client nurturing. So um, what is your current process and is, are there any kind of uh, tips that you're looking for or any ways that you want to kind of improve that process? So I think the hardest part of uh, my job and the business is the prospecting. I think the results are, are not that they're easy, but I mean, they are in comparison to getting someone to not only answer your cold call or cold email, but then to the, get them to trust you and then to actually get them to start paying you is way more challenging than actually producing the, the results. And so I've, I've never sent a video in an outreach, but that actually is pretty interesting. Because um, for us, like our conversion rate <coughs> is very high once we get someone um, on the screen share that we do, where we walk them through our whole process and we show them like step-by-step step how this is gonna work, all how visible it's gonna be to them, how much communication we're gonna have. Um, that is really the easy part is getting them to actually say, yes, let's do this call for 15 or 30 minutes of my day. And we primarily use um, a CRS, CRM system right now called close.io. Sure. Pretty straightforward. Um, doesn't have a ton of capabilities and we're going to switch away from that eventually. But for now, it's, it's perfectly fine. And we use Sales Navigator as well. But Got it. <clears throat> referrals are way better than any of the cold outreach tactics. Exactly. Um, exactly, but yeah. I'm all, I mean, I'm no expert in, in sales. Um, so we're always looking for different avenues for, for growth. Uh, that's definitely the the most challenging part of having uh, this business. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. It's consistent recurring revenue, you know, getting referrals in, happy clients, um, being able to kind of stay on top of um, trends and the curve and making clients happy. And, you know, as an agency, you don't, you're not physically next to your client every single day. So you have a little bit of distance, but at the same time, sometimes that's very healthy because you're not so stuck in that, you know, you don't suffer from that uh, myopia. So um, pros and cons, right? Yeah. At the same time, like what I've learned over the course of, um, like this year and a half is that visibility is super important because if you're out of sight, you're sort of out of mind. And if you go even a month without checking in with your client or touching base, then it's sort of like, what am I actually paying you for? What's happening? Where are the results? And so, uh, the reporting and making sure that they understand what's going on, um, and establishing like actual expectations so that everybody knows what is happening is super important 